Thanks for joining us for Life Community Church. Hey, my name is Dan. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Life Community Church. And we are in our series called Doubt right now. Where we're looking at uh, faith and doubt and how we live our lives with doubt. Because you can't have faith without doubt, right? There's going to be some doubt there. And so we're just taking a dive into this. Church has been traditionally sometimes a place where we like stuff our doubts deep down. We don't talk about them. We don't ask questions. But I think church should be the place and the safest place where we ask big, hard questions. So that's what we've been doing over the last few weeks. Let me tell you a story. Totally true. Just kidding. An atheist was spending a quiet day fishing when suddenly his boat was attacked by the Loch Ness Monster. In one easy flip, the beast tossed him and his boat high in the air, and the guy cried out, Oh no, God! God save me! At once, the ferocious attack froze in place. Like the guy was frozen, the Loch Ness Monster was frozen in the air, the boat was frozen, the the Loch Ness Monster's jaws were like wide open, ready to snatch this guy out of the air, and it all pauses. And a big booming voice from the clouds comes down and says, I thought you didn't believe in me. And the guy says, come on, God, give me a break. Two minutes ago, I didn't believe in the Loch Ness Monster either. <laughs> Thank you for those sympathy laughs. You guys are great. The reason I tell you that story is because there's a discrepancy between his public and his private conviction. And today we're going to look at public, private, and core convictions. And understanding these convictions, those three convictions, they're going to help us break through that wall that Liz talked about last week. If you didn't hear that last week, go check out the podcast. You can hear about breaking through that wall in our faith that we all go through. I'm going to read one of the great expressions of our faith called the Apostles' Creed. Creed just means belief. This is uh, something that followers of Christ have believed, have spoken, have memorized uh, throughout the entire world, through all the continents and uh, all people groups of Christians over the last 17 centuries have said this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, who was, cruci who crucified, was crucified, died, and was buried, buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there... He will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, as you reflect on those words, I'd like you to consider two people, two people who go to church. Two people who both affirm this creed. Some traditions of church, they say this together every Sunday. You can probably tell by the way I read that, that I did not grow up that way. 
But I, I'm sure a couple of you did it in here where you say that every week. So imagine these two people, and they're saying, I believe in God the Father. I believe Christ Jesus, his only Son. I believe the Holy Spirit. I believe the Holy Catholic Church. And by the way, uh, us, sometimes we get a little uncomfortable, like, ooh, Catholic Church. I, we're not Catholics. Uh, that Catholic Church in there just means, like, the whole church. It's like a... Um, it means the entire church, not just the Roman Catholic Church. It means every Christian church. So we've got two people affirming this statement. One person is humble, loving, truthful, full of life. The other person affirms the same beliefs, says this every Sunday, but he's selfish, angry, judgmental, cold-hearted, they both say this creed in church. They go to church every week. They both attend the same small group. Now here's the question. Do these people really share the same faith? Do they really same, share the same faith? And if they do, why are they so different? The real question we're getting at here is, if faith is so important that God would say that we're saved by faith through grace, that's in Ephesians, then why doesn't our faith make a difference in our actual lives? To get to this, we're going to talk about what a writer and philosopher by the name of Michael Novak speaks about regarding three kinds of convictions. Uh, first, there is a public conviction. So this is the first of the three, a public conviction. This is the things that I say I believe, and they're the things that I want other people to think I really believe, but deep inside, I don't believe them at all. Like, for instance, I love salad. I think salads should be for every meal, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, salad, delicious. Everyone should be eating that. I eat it every day, you know, and I, I just love salad. It's the best. Um, and, and no dressing either, just the leaves. Just the leaves, no meat in your salad. You might look at me if I say that, and you might be like, Dan, no. I've seen you at Chick-fil-A. I know that you can't resist Los Zarapes cheese sauce next door. I know you don't eat more than one salad a week. You got me. None of that is true. That would be a public conviction. Something that sounds nice, but it's... It's not actually what I believe. There's biblical examples of this all over scripture of people saying they believe something, doing something else. A uh, quick example would be like King Herod in Jesus' birth story, where King Herod, in Matthew 2, 8, he says uh, to the wise men, go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me that you, uh, report to me that I too may go and worship him. He didn't want to worship Jesus. He wanted to kill him. That was a public belief. It was a spin job. It was, uh, it was something made for public consumption, for image management purposes. That's a public conviction. And we all have those to some degree. Then there's a second kind of conviction. That might be called a private conviction. So we've got a public conviction. This is a private conviction. These are the things that I sincerely think I believe, but it turns out, that when circumstances change, these beliefs can change with them. These private convictions are somewhat fickle. They're not nearly as deep as we'd like to believe. The night before Jesus died, he predicted that Peter would deny him. 
And Peter said back to Jesus, he said, no, Lord. This is in Mark chapter 14. He says, no, Lord, even if everybody else falls away, I will not fall away. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. When Peter said these words, was he sincere in that moment? I absolutely believe he was. In that moment, he really believed those things. And yet, the very next night, were those convictions demonstrated as people asked him if he knew Jesus? No, they weren't. Peter's convictions proved to be fairly shallow as he denied even knowing Jesus three times before the rooster crowed. And so it turns out that knowing what we actually believe is trickier than we think. So there's public convictions, we have private convictions, and now core convictions, which are revealed by our daily actions, by what we actually do. And these core convictions, they reflect our mental map. Our mental map reflects the way that we think, the way that things actually are in our souls. It's revealed by what we do and how we live. For example, I believe in gravity. Anybody else believe in gravity here? Any gravity believers? Just a few of you. Okay, that's fine. Um, so I believe in gravity. I know you guys do too. Um, so with gravity, I don't really have to wonder what's going to happen. Like it is a part of my mental map. It's baked in there. I didn't wake up getting out of bed today thinking I was going to float off to the ceiling up to the ceiling once I got out of bed. Like I just got out of bed, right? That's a part of what I believe. Because gravity is a part of my mental map, my actions, my behavior will always be congruent with that belief. So three types of convictions. What I say I believe is public conviction. What I think I believe is private conviction. And what I do is what I truly believe. That's our core conviction. So what if, instead of reciting the Apostles' Creed, uh, what if an all-knowing being watched us for three months, and then at the, three, at the end of those three months, uh, we recite the creed that we did? Does that make sense? So our behavior dic would dictate our creed instead of the Apostles' Creed. Does that sound pretty scary? To me, that's terrifying. I don't want to do that. But let's say we did it. Here's what it might sound like. It might sound like this. I believe, as a representative of Jesus, I should love all people, but not Gary. Not Gary at work. He's the worst. I don't like Gary. He stole my donut that one time, or my lunch. Or it might sound like, I believe that a lie is a bad thing, but, you know, sometimes it's necessary for me to avoid trouble to get what I want, or to get what I want. Or maybe I believe that as long as I don't verbalize it, I can pass judgment on anybody I want. It's a fill-in-the-blank exercise. What would the creed of my life look like if it was dictated by my actions? What would that creed look like? So we're looking way down into our mental maps, into the beliefs that govern our actual behavior. And we've all felt that frustration of, uh, of believing one way, right? And then we get in a situation and our actions are totally different. And we're like, whoa, what just happened? And we realize that what we did wasn't what we really believed. This is what happened for Peter. You know what? In those moments, in that moment of private conviction, the one where 
you're, you think you believe it, but your actions show something else. Jesus doesn't just like cast us off when that happens and say, oh, I'm done with you. Like you, you said you believe something. You told me you'd follow me till the end. You told me you'd die with me and then you denied even knowing me. Get out of here, Peter. He doesn't do that. On Easter, we talked about how Jesus sat down with Peter, made him breakfast and offered forgiveness to Peter after that denial. He meets us even in those. So our God is soft, he's loving, he welcomes us where we are, even in our failures. Jesus meets us when we're screw-ups. But we still want to move to that place where we have deeper conviction with Jesus. So which kind of conviction do you think Jesus is most interested in changing in us? The public conviction, the private conviction, or the core conviction? You guys know, the core conviction. He wants to get at our core conviction. It's why Jesus said, by their fruit you will know them. That's Matthew 7. And then he says, a good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. That's in Luke 6. If our mental maps don't get changed, then everything else is just image management or behavior modification. And I want to be done with that kind of living. Like, I want to, personally, I want to be done with it. I know that it's always going to be part of our human condition. But that's something that we can look to Jesus and say, I want to be done with image management. I want to be done coming on Sundays or to a small group and pretending I have it all together. That kind of life, that's what's led to so much hurt specifically in the church, where the church says, we believe this thing. We want to be this person, and they do the exact opposite. And I know that we can't be perfect. I know that we can't always do everything that we say, that we're going to fail, that we're going to sin. But I still want to work on our core convictions where um, we are looking for Jesus to lead us into a deeper conviction where he's leading us in the same way that I trust Jesus, I, in the same way that I trust gravity. Like that's the kind of faith I want to have to trust Jesus. Jesus is interested in changing our core convictions and to bring them into alignment with the reality of his kingdom. If you've been reading your Bible, um, maybe you've noticed like you, you read some of what Paul wrote, like in Romans, um, he talks about being saved by faith, right? And then you get to a, a little book called James and then you see how um, he talks about how our faith must be met with action. It's got to be revealed through our works. And we might just start to think that like, oh, these two guys, do they even agree? Are they like uh, on separate planes here? Are they, are they having a debate? But they're not. Paul and James are addressing the same issue of core conviction. Let's look at James 2.14. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, it's way towards the back. Let me say, if you don't have a Bible to read, we've got some all the way uh, in the back. So if you don't have one at home or you want one that's a little bit more readable, that's an NIV translation, take that home. That's for you to have. Take it. Um, totally free. I'd love for you to have a Bible if you would like one. Um, so yeah, James 2.14. <clears throat> what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith, that's that public conviction, we claim to have faith, but has no deeds. Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes or daily food and daily food. 
If one of them says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But some will say, well, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds. That's public and private conviction, faith without deeds. And I will show you my faith by my deeds. That's the core conviction. So James is asking, if people claim to have faith, but have no deeds, is that real faith? This is important because a lot of people think of faith as just like, okay, what is the core thing I have to believe? What's the minimum amount of things that I have to believe to get to heaven? Or what image do I need to project to everyone else so they think that I'm a really good Christian? They might say, what are the things in the Apostles' Creed that I need to affirm to get into heaven? But Jesus, Jesus goes so much deeper than that kind of thinking. Jesus wants to change and redeem and heal the world with his presence. And we often get stuck at just like, well, I believe A and B and C, and so I'm good. But for, for Jesus, faith, was always more important than just praying a sinner's prayer or reciting a creed. Those things are important, yes, but it goes so much deeper than that. Jesus' idea of faith was wrapped up in walking with God, in friendship and worship, intimacy and connection with our Creator. And then out of that connection, we get to be his hands and feet, bringing his presence, bringing his kingdom to the world around us, here and now, bringing Jesus' healing to souls here and now. So faith speaks of a new mental map that enables us to truly live in the reality of Jesus' kingdom. Not our own little ideas of what we think it should be, but what he says it is. We're, we're following the Holy Spirit, looking for the ways in our lives that we can bring his kingdom to the people we encounter every day. We often try to get uh, people to trust Jesus for their eternity, for their future, to get into heaven. Like we're looking at the long game, right? But without learning to trust him for our daily lives, we're completely missing what Jesus has set up. We want, we want saying yes to Jesus, saying yes, I, I want your forgiveness for your sins to be the very first step of a lifelong journey. Saying yes, Jesus, I believe to be the very first step of a lifelong journey in his kingdom. And this gets to the difference between the two people we talked about at the beginning. They may both say they trust in Jesus. They may both think that they trust in Jesus, but at the core, their mental map, their convictions about uh, what the way things really are, they're night and day from each other. They may say the same stuff, they may think the same stuff, but they do not have the same faith. So then how do we get this kind of faith? How does this happen? How do we let Jesus reshape our core convictions? How do we get what the Bible calls the mind of Christ? That's in 1 Corinthians 2. 
We can't do it by ourselves, but we do have a role to play in the process. First, we have to learn what Jesus believed and taught. We, what are Jesus's core convictions? What, did he, what, did he, what is most important to Jesus? And we discover that by reading the Bible. And please take one home if you don't have one, or if you don't have a readable translation, like the King James Version is kind of hard for me to read, the these and thous. That one's pretty easy to read. Read that. If you can't remember a time in the last year where you've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, like one of the Gospels that tells Jesus' story, read those this week. Dedicate yourself this week, um, maybe a couple chapters a day, totally doable, um, and read one of those this week. So read the Bible. You guys ever watch Reading Rainbow? Uh, At the end of Reading Rainbow, I grew up on Reading Rainbow, I love it. Uh, at the end, they'd have the kids reading the books or telling you about a book like, little Tommy goes and finds a bear and he's scared. And then at the end of that, they say, but don't take my word for it. Go to your local library and check it out yourself. That's what I'm saying. Don't take my word for it. Don't just let Sunday mornings be the only time that you take in Jesus's word. Don't take my word for it. Go, go there yourself. Um, but then we need to take that to the next level. We need to not only know what Jesus taught, but then we also have to do what Jesus did. For change to happen at a core level, there's no substitute for risking faith, to stepping out and taking a risk by maybe praying for someone, serving a neighbor, listening to someone, inviting a friend to church, blowing some money on someone, whether they need it or not. These can all be risks of faith when done in Jesus' name. When we do the stuff that Jesus did, that moves our belief from private convictions to core conviction, like what James wrote about. All too often the church has been all about pouring more information into people without offering like the equal challenge to live up to what we're learning. But the only way the mental map changes is when we choose to trust Jesus. And so in order for that to begin, to change my core convictions, I have to learn to trust Jesus enough to actually do what he's calling me to do. And that is rarely an easy thing to do. Author and Yale professor Henry Nouwen, he, uh, he loved to watch trapeze acts. So you'd go to see him whenever you could. I want to show you a trapeze act here. So if we could show that video.
So keep that in mind as we talk about the rest of this. So after Henry Nouwen watched the Flying Rodleys, uh, that's, I believe that's who they, they were um, when I Googled them, uh, he became so intrigued by their performance that he just went on tour with them for a week and just like went to every one of their stops. And he uh, asked them out to dinner and he just wanted to ask them some questions of how it worked. And so he asked, what are you thinking about after you let go of the bar? If it were me, uh, he would say, is the catcher going to catch me, is what he asked. But Rodley told Henry, as a flyer, this is the guy who jumps through the air and is caught, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I'm the star of the trapeze, but really the star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split second precision and grab me out of the air as soon as I come to him in the long jump. Then Nowen asked him, how's it work? He said, the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have to simply stretch out my arms and wait. Henry Nowen asked him, you do nothing? Nothing. A flyer must fly and a catcher must catch. Now here's where trusting God comes in. This is our part, the scary part. The flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. The Flying Rodleys, they talked about three moves in their trapeze act. There's, they call it the dance of trust. They let, go, they let go of their trapeze, they wait, and they're caught. They let go, they wait, and they're caught. That's the dance. God comes to people, God comes to you and me and says, let go. Will you let go? God comes to Abraham and says, let go of everything familiar, your home, your culture, your stuff, your security, and go where I tell you to go. He goes to Moses. He says, will you let go? Will you let go of your public image? Will you let go of your royalty as an Egyptian? Will you stand up to the most powerful person in the land, stand up to Pharaoh? Jesus comes to the rich young ruler one day. He loves him. And he says, will you let go of your trapeze? For the rich young ruler, that was his money. That was his stuff. That was his security. You can read that story in Mark 10. What are we to let go of? Anything that keeps us from God. Let go of your power. Let go of addiction. For addiction, that, that, the first step is telling someone. You can't just do it by yourself. You've got to tell someone with addiction and walk through that with God and someone else. Let go of a grudge, unforgiveness, a need to control, a need to control relationships, money, career. Let go of eager, let go of pride. Let go of how important your reputation is to you and risk faith. God says, let go. And God says, wait. Now, does anybody here like to wait? I know I don't. <laughs> I was telling somebody the other day, uh, in Houston, where my brother lives, they have two-hour shipping for Amazon. So one time I forgot my phone charger. Could I have gone out to the store and gotten a phone charger? Sure. Uh, but instead, I got the two-hour shipping. I was like, yeah, two-hour shipping. And I got my charger in like an hour. It was amazing. I don't like to wait. 
I don't think any of us like to wait. That's why we got drive-throughs, right? Waiting is scary sometimes. Waiting is difficult for us because it's that in-between time of letting go and being caught. I mean, if I was one of those trapeze people, I'd be terrified in that moment. Like, they're doing flips and stuff. I would just be, like, frozen, stiff, you know? And it's that scary time of just waiting. Maybe you've risked faith in the past and haven't seen the fruit yet. But waiting is part of the process where we keep trusting, where we choose to remain faithful. Our arms just outstretched, waiting to be caught. Maybe you've been waiting a long time. Maybe it's really difficult. Maybe you're not sure if you can wait any more. For some, the, the answer is just, no, I don't want to wait anymore. I can't trust you anymore, God. I'm bringing my arms in. I'm going to try and do it on my own. And so they never experience the joy of being caught by God's great big hands. There's a catcher. A capital C catcher, the one who will always be faithful to you, even while you're still waiting midair. So let go. And every time you let go and you're caught, your mental map will be changed a little more. Your faith will build. Your core convictions will align more with Jesus. And as we let go in faith, we wait and we experience his catching hands in ours We'll discover how our core convictions begin to be reshaped. Suddenly, the truth of God's incredible love for us, God's abiding presence, the God that is with us, we learn, to, we learn that we can trust him even in the midst of our doubts and suffering. And suddenly, these ideas transcend our public and private convictions and become a part of our core convictions in the same way that we believe in gravity. I've got two calls to action for you. Two things that you can just put into practice this week to help align your heart with God and, um, and deepen those core convictions. So when you feel the nudge of the Holy Spirit to love someone, to care for someone, to speak words of life, maybe to pray for someone, Maybe to give something to someone, do it. This is an act of faith. This is letting go of the trapeze bar, even when you're not sure how it's going to end. It's part of building your faith and your core conviction. So look for that this week. Ask God, God, what do you, who are you working with right now? As I cross paths with people in schnooks or as I cross paths with people at work or in my community, like, who do you want me to risk faith for? Pray that every morning and see what happens. And number two, look for small ways to let go, to wait and be caught. These small ways, they're going to prepare you. And then you'll be ready for the larger leap of faith in the future. So look for the small ways to say yes to Jesus. Even if it's just like a Maybe it's a, a little lie, you know, and you're just like, you know, I say no to that and I say yes to Jesus, I'm going to do the right thing. And those little things build our core convictions to where when it's time to let go of the trapeze a hundred feet in the air versus ten, we can do it and trust God. Let's pray together.
Jesus, we thank you that you are always going to catch us. And sometimes it feels like it takes longer than others, but give us, give us faith, deepen our faith to trust you, to believe in you. Jesus, we, we want to give up our, definitely our public convictions. And we want to say like in our private convictions where we really think we believe something, but maybe if it gets tough, we deny that. We say, work in us, God. Do what you'll do to, to align our core convictions with who you are. Jesus, we love you. Amen. Let's stand together and worship. At Life Community Church, we want you to experience the powerful, life-changing love of God. To learn more, go to lifemohammed.org. lifemohammed.org.